Well, good morning. Psalm 84 this morning as we continue our series on the heart of worship. And I'm just going to tell you right up front, and this is very unusual, I have really one primary goal of this message today. Not that there aren't other things that God can speak to us about or do in our lives. That's totally up to him. But as a pastor... Especially, I have one goal for this message today. And that is that every one of us, as a follower of Jesus Christ, would either make, for the first time in our life, maybe, a real commitment to being in the house of God more faithfully, more consistently, or if we are doing that, to sort of renew that commitment to the house of God and be more faithful and consistent part of, of the house of God because that's really what this psalm is all about. This psalm does divide out into three nice little sections, and I'd like to just share those with you up front, especially for those of you, again, that take notes or that uh, you want to follow along as far as an outline goes, you'll see in verse 4 how blessed are those who live in your temple. And so the first thing we want to talk about is are we missing the blessing of God's house? But then in verse 5, he says how blessed are those who find their strength in you. And so we also want to talk this morning about are we missing the blessing of God's strength in our life? And then finally in verse 12, how blessed are those who trust in you. And so we're also going to look at are we missing the blessing of trusting in the Lord. Three blessings, three beatitudes in one psalm. It's the only psalm that contains three different blessings or beatitudes of all 150 psalms. And there's something else that makes this psalm a little unique. You'll notice in the... Uh, Above the, the very first verse of this psalm, again, some, some uh, instruction, if you will. And I've titled this psalm, The Privilege of the Worship of God in the House of God. And then the author of this psalm writes, For the music director, or we would say today, for the worship leader, according to the Giddith style, written by the Korahites, a psalm. And before we actually get into the psalm this morning, there is something important about the superscription of this psalm that I want to take note of, and that is who wrote this psalm. It wasn't Asaph, or it wasn't David, or it wasn't Moses, some of the other writers of the psalms. This was written by the Korahites. Why is that significant? Well, I think if there was a group of people who always appreciated the privilege and opportunity of being part of the community of God's people and being able to meet in the house of God and engage with the person of God and the presence of God in the house of God with the people of God, it was the Korahites for this reason. If you know your Old Testament, then you know that their ancestor, Korah, was the one who brought about a rebellion against Moses and whom God judged. And they, not all of them, some of them were spared in that judgment and survived. 
And so they really understood, my goodness. <laughs> you know, we could have gotten swept up, if you will, in the, the judgment against our ancestor Korah for what he did against Moses and ultimately against God. But because God spared us, my goodness, we're never going to take the opportunity to worship the Lord in his house with his people. We're not going to take that opportunity for granted. We're going to be glad that we are a part of God's house and that we can come here and that we can worship here corporately. I think about that even as modern day Christians. Do we have so much that we take the opportunity to come together on a weekly basis? Do we take it for granted? Do we not appreciate the, the opportunity, if you will, to come together as God's people in his house, as he invites us in as the best host we could ever have into his house to experience him. And so that's what I think why the heart of this psalm beats so strongly for the house of God and the worship of God and the people of God is because who wrote it? They never, no matter how many centuries went by, they passed on from one generation to another. You know how fortunate and blessed we are to be a part of the people of God and, and, and be able to go to the house of God on a weekly basis? We're very fortunate because our ancestor rose up and rebelled against Moses and God spared some of us and we are alive to be able to do this, you see. So with that said... I want us to first of all look at, are we missing the blessing of God's house? Notice the wording here, beginning in verse 1. How lovely, or literally, how beloved is the place where you live, O Lord, who rules over all. By the way, I want you to note that this phrase, a phrase that lifts up, magnifies, and elevates God is found four times in this psalm. And that's really, again, where worship starts, our view, our concept of God. Notice this phrase is used in verse 1. It is also used in verse 3 at, towards the end, O Lord who rules over all. The same words in the Hebrew even though it's translated a little bit differently in the Net Bible, is used again in verse 8, O Lord, Sovereign God. And then in verse 12, it is finally used here, O Lord who rules over all, the Lord of hosts. A high concept, a high view of God. And along with that, obviously, they have a high view and a high value of God's house. Because they write, how lovely or beloved is the place where you live, O Lord, who rules over all. I desperately want to be in the courts of the Lord's temple. My heart and my entire being shout for joy to the living God. Even the birds find a home there. And the swallow builds a nest where she can protect her young near your altars, O Lord, who rules over all, my king and my God. Notice they're even sort of envious of the animals that sort of get to be there all the time, every day. It's like, man, I, I wish I could be one of those birds and just sort of hang at God's house all the time. 
That, that's, that's their view. They want to be there more. I think, wow, how our churches and our, our corporate life would be changed if instead of looking for ways to be at God's house less, we were all actually looking to be at God's house more. That we truly missed it when we weren't there, that we thought we were missing something. Because can I tell you, that's sort of the way God designed it. God says, look, every time my people get together, I'm going to meet with them and I'm going to do something special there. And I want to create such an environment and such an atmosphere with my people that they're going to know that if they do miss, they're missing something. That, that they're missing something by not being there. And so they don't want to miss because they might miss what God does that particular day with his people, you see. They go on to write in verse 4, how blessed are those who live in your temple, literally settle down in your temple and praise you continually. By the way, the word praise here can also be translated celebrate. In fact, in the Hebrew, it literally means to shine. I love that. To shine continually for God, which obviously we think of then in the New Testament where, you know, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, and then tells his people, oh, and you are the light of the world, and don't let your light be hidden. Don't, don't put that light under a, a shield or, or something to hide your light, but set that light out so that people can see it, so they can glorify God as they see your life and your good works. Amen. The concept of being a light and shining as God's people. And God says, here's, the, here's one of the reasons why I want you to come together because each of you is an individual light out there in the world, but think about the light that you produce when you come together and you bring all of your lights together and you shine as one. How bright can that be, God says. And yes, there is the idea that there are some of us that because of our calling upon our life, you know, the church in a sense is more of our life. We realize that there are many Christians that obviously have a life outside of this place. We get that. But at the same time, every Christian, every follower of Jesus Christ should have a heart for the house of God. Because it's where God meets with his people. It's where God says, I have set this space apart to meet with each of you on a, on a corporate community level on a weekly basis. And, and that's even the concept not in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament when we are called the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, meaning that God calls us out of our individual homes and our individual dwelling places, and he literally calls us to come together as his people to worship him. It is God's heart, it is God's desire that we do this. And God says, do you have a heart for my house? Are we missing the blessing of God's house? by not being as faithful, committed, and devoted to his house as we should be. Because here's the thing that the psalmists want us to understand, that the house of God is synonymous with the person of God. 
So therefore, I can't say I truly have a heart for God if I do not have a heart for his house. They are one in the same in the Bible. One in the same. You and I, I think one day as Christians, when we are called to give an account of our life as a Christian before the Lord, I think one of the things that we're going to give an account for is, what about my house? What was your attitude towards my house? What was your heart towards my What was your attendance? What was your engagement? What was your investment in my house? Did, did you treasure my house? Did you value my house? Did you come to my house? Did you experience my presence in your house? Did you grow in my house? Did you worship me in my house? These are things I think that you and I are going to be accountable for before the Lord because God places a priority on his house. Which is why then if you go down to verse 10, a verse that we sang this morning in one of our songs, these Korahites said, certainly spending just one day in your temple courts is better than spending a thousand elsewhere. Now, let's not move through that too quickly. Do we really believe that? By the way, the word better means of greater benefit and blessing to us. That's what the word better means. Do I really believe that one day in God's house is better than spending a thousand doing something else? I, I'll just have to tell you, I don't see a lot of Christians really adopting that attitude towards the house of God. If they did, I think our churches, at least the ones that magnify the Lord Jesus Christ and teach his word, I think that you couldn't find an empty seat. And that every week people would be flocking because it would be a priority of their lives to be in the house. If, if, if truly one day in your courts is better, a greater blessing and benefit even to us personally. I will get a blessing if I go to God's house and meet with God's people and be with them. If I truly believe that, then to me, it's going to up the commitment level and the devotion towards God's house. In fact, the psalmists go on to say, I would rather stand at the entrance to the temple of my God and then live in the tents of the wicked. The Korahites were basically saying, whatever you think this to be, you and, you and I can debate on what that is or discuss what that is, but basically they're saying that what we may deem as human beings as the least significant role, responsibility, position in the house of God is, whatever that would be, is still a greater honor and privilege than having a corner penthouse in the world. Amen. Now think about that. That, that. That's what they're saying. Because by standing at the entrance, it was basically a description of what we would today call guest services or even a sort of a combination of guest services and maybe our security team. Somebody who's, who's 
stationed at the entrance and who looks in the door and who greets people as they come in and all of that. It's sort of a combination of that. And, and the Korahites are saying, I'd rather have that position in the house of God than anything that the world offers me. Because that means I'm in the house of God and, and I'm, I'm engaging with, with God's presence there and I sense God there and, and I'm with God's people there. And it is such a privilege that I would rather uh, have the lowest or, or least significant position in the house of God than anything the world could offer me. See, when we talk about the heart of worship, one of the desires that God has for his people is that we come together to worship him. And so therefore, if we're going to create a, a desire, a, a heart of worship within our, even our own church, we, we've got to create an environment where more of us you know, buy into the idea that, that being in the house of God needs to be more of a priority and I need to be more faithful and dedicated and devoted to the house of God. Not in a legalistic sense. Again, it's, it's for my own blessing and benefit, you see. It's, it's to build me up. It's to strengthen me. It's to allow me to experience God in a way that I never will just individually you see? Yes, we can all experience God. Yes, we can all worship God on our own. But there's something near and dear to God's heart about when God's people are willing to come together and to worship him as a community of believers. And he meets with us in a very special, unique way that he doesn't meet with us like that any other way. Amen. And he wants his people to, to have that heart to come together and to be together and to worship him. So if we're going to raise the level of worship at the Oasis, we first got to raise the level of our view of God's house, Old Testament and New Testament. In fact, to show you this, keep your finger in Psalm 84. We'll come back there. Let me take you to the New Testament in case some of you are like, well, you know, that's Old Testament stuff. Well, let's go to the book of Hebrews for just a moment. And this is just one place we could go, but this is one of my favorite places. And go to Hebrews chapter 10 and look at verses 24 and 25. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but the author, whoever it was, says these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 to New Testament Christians. Let us take thought, give it some thought of how to spur one another on to love and good works. Now let me stop there before we get to verse 25 and say, how can I spur one another on to love and good works if I'm never around one another's? <laughs> and if I don't even know them enough to know how to... See, because... This also, if, if you've got to go back a little bit, this implies that I have a relationship at least with some of my brothers and sisters in Christ enough to begin to even think about how do I spur them on. And here's why. Because each of us is unique. 
And we're all motivated differently. We're all inspired differently by different ways and different things. You and I don't respond to the same kind of inspiration or motivation. So in order for me as a Christian to even carry out verse 24, I have to know my brothers and sisters well enough to begin to even form thoughts and consider how do I inspire them? How do I motivate them to be a, a better, more dedicated, more devoted follower of Jesus Christ? You see, if we never come together and we don't build relationships with each other, we can't even carry out verse 24, which is why then verse 24 is hooked to verse 25. Not abandoning our own meetings. As notice, some are in the habit of doing Let's talk about that for a minute. That's some strong language. Do you notice the word abandon there, which is a pretty strong word? He says, do you realize even as a New Testament Christian that in some way, if you and I are not faithful to the house of God, it's like we're abandoning our brothers and sisters in Christ? I would never, I would never forsake or abandon my brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, if we're not faithful to God's house, that's what the word of God says. Not my words, these are God's words. And then he uses a very important word too, habit. Because isn't that really what it comes down to? It is habit. If someone is out of the habit of coming to church on Sunday morning, and I'll just say this, the more you and I miss on Sunday, the easier it is to keep missing. If it is my habit to just get up on Sunday and there be no question that I know what I'm going to do Sunday morning, then I am forming that habit. And it becomes a habitual thing. That's just what I do. There's no question. And I know, I've said this though before, but I know some of you are going to go, well, you're a pastor. <laughs> you have to be here. And I will just simply say to you that if, it, and I, I won't do this, so please don't get up. If I could convince some of you by doing this, I would do it. I would resign as the pastor of the Oasis Church tomorrow, and you would still see me on Wednesday and Sunday every week. Because can I tell you, that's the way my mom and dad brought me up. We were in the habit that when the church doors were open, we were there. And my heart breaks for the fact that so many today have never had a habit of coming to the house of God. And therefore, it's not a value. It's not a priority. And notice what he goes on to say in verse 25. But encouraging each other, and even more so because you see the day drawing near. The day of what? the day I believe of the return of the Lord. And why does he mention that? Because he's saying to us as Christians, you realize as we get closer to the return of Christ that the world is getting harder and harder to live in as a Christian. And that's why you as Christians need to be committed to come together and be with each other because if you ever needed encouragement as a follower of Jesus Christ, you need it now. 
because the world is going to get more and more dark, more and more cold, more and more unloving, more and more directing its hatred towards us as Christians. And we as Christians are going to get beat up and beat down. And we need the encouragement of one another. And the place to get that in then is the house of God. Which is why instead of abandoning our meetings, we need to make our meetings a habit and a priority of our life. Let's go back then to Psalm 84. The second thing that the Korahites talk about is in verse 5. Are we missing the blessing of God's strength? How blessed are those who find their strength in you? Let's stop right there. As a a follower of Jesus Christ, we have two choices. I can either live my life in my own strength or I can live my life in the strength that God supplies. And so many Christians, too, are so overwhelmed and and weighted down and and weary and, and burdened and all of that, and there can only be two biblical explanations for that. Either we are taking on more than what God would want us to take on or we're taking on the responsibilities of life but we're trying to do it in our own strength. And that's why the Korahites say, how blessed are those who find their strength in God? Because God gives us a supernatural strength and gives us energy to be able to do his will. Now let me say this. God never gives us strength even as his people to sin. God won't empower a person to sin. God will not empower us or strengthen us to to live selfishly. He won't. But he will give us all the strength that we need to do the right things. To, To... to live righteously, to have the right priorities, to to follow his will. He'll give us all the strength we need. And not only strength, he will literally energize us. He, He will give us a supernatural vitality and energy. So the question has to be is if I'm a Christian and I feel very weighted down and weary and and weak and worn out and all that, then I I have to ask myself, am Am I doing things that I shouldn't be doing to feel this way all the time? Or am I getting up every day and I'm trying to go through the day and just sort of ram through the day, but I'm doing it with the strength that I have rather than relying and depending on the strength that God wants to give me? Because again, part of why it's such a blessing is because you and I all know as Christians, when we do live in God's strength, Oh my goodness, it makes such a difference in our lives. That's why Paul could tell Christians in Philippi, can't we do all things through Christ who strengthens us? There's nothing that you and I cannot do if if Christ's strength is empowering us to do it. And notice the context here, though. Again, going back to God will give us the strength for what his desires are. Notice what the strength is for here. How blessed are those who find their strength in you and long to travel the roads that lead to your temple. By the way, the word long there 
means to be resolved and determined to come to God's house. <laughs> See what the psalmists are saying? If you truly have a resolve and determination that you want to come to God's house, God will give you the strength to get there. Because that's God's will, that you and I be at God's house, just like it would be anything. Whatever God's will is, God will give us the strength to do it. Again, it's not a strength that you and I can even sort of quantify because it's supernatural. It's like people could look at it, how do you keep going or how do you, well, because I'm doing what God wants me to do and I'm not doing it in my own strength. I'm doing it in the strength that God will give me. Notice he goes on to say, verse 6, as they pass through the Baca Valley, which is, I think, a description of a very dry place, a, a, a very difficult place to travel through as they're coming to God's house. Notice, he will provide a spring for them. The rain even will cover it with pools of water. They are sustained as they travel along. Why? Because they're going to God's house and God will give them the strength and the sustaining power and the provision and the protection to get there because that's what God does. He will strengthen us to do his will. By the way, I love this word sustain in the Hebrew language. It literally describes the outfitting or the equipping of an army. <laughs> He's like, you people, do you realize that when you get up even today on Sunday morning and you come out of your houses and you come, I'm equipping you and outfitting you as my army, the army of God to come together in my house as you march to God's house. That's what the people of the Old Testament thought as they traveled along to the house of God. Each one appearing before God in Zion. Literally, each one wanting to see God in Zion. You know, there's another passage that talks about the strength that God will supply to get to his house. If you go over to the book of Isaiah, Many of you already know where I'm going. Isaiah chapter 40, very familiar passage of Scripture. Let me just give you quickly the context before we read verses 28 through 31. Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. These words from the prophet Isaiah were directed to the people of God in exile. And God had told them through the prophet... I'm going to get ready to release you from exile so that you can go home, so you can go back to your home in Israel, so you can go back to Jerusalem, so you can go back to the temple. And many of them were like, God, we're comfortable here. How sad that God's people can get comfortable in exile, but we can. We can get comfortable in our distance from God and from God's house and God's people. We can actually get comfortable with that, just like the people did in Isaiah's day. And many of them were saying, but God, many of our families, they have very small children or they have aged parents or, or you know, people who are very old. And that trip, there's no way they, they could make that. And then, God, the thoughts of once we get back there about rebuilding our homes from scratch and, and starting all over again, God, Where's the strength and the energy for all that work going to come from? That's the context of Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. Please follow along. So Isaiah says to the people of God, do you not know? 
Have you not heard the Lord is an eternal God, the creator of the whole earth? He does not get tired or weary. There's no limit to his wisdom. He gives strength to those who are tired. To the ones who lack power, he gives renewed energy. Yes, even youths get tired and weary. Even strong young men clumsily stumble. But those who wait for the Lord's help find renewed strength. They rise up as if they had eagle's wings. They run without growing weary. They walk without getting tired. Isaiah is basically telling them, if you're obedient to the Lord and you go back to your home, he'll give you all the strength and energy you need to not only get back there, but to start your life over again once you get there because that's his will for you as his people. So that's why the psalmist write in Psalm 84, are we not only missing the blessing of God's house, but are we missing the blessing of God's strength? Well, finally this morning, would you go back to Psalm 84 and look at verse 11 and 12, where they write, for the Lord God is our sovereign protector. The Lord bestows favor and honor. He withholds no good thing from those who have integrity. O Lord, who rules over all, how blessed are those who trust in you. And we've already looked at the question of are we missing the blessing of God's house and are we missing the blessing of God's strength? So I want to end with this. Are we missing the blessing of trusting in the Lord? Because the psalmist end this great psalm by saying, how blessed are those who trust in you. See, they're reminding us that there is no greater blessing than fully resting in and relying in the Lord every day. That's a blessing. Because how much, and I know this from personal experience, by the way, how much torture we put our minds and bodies through when we don't trust in the Lord, <laughs> right? We're, we're filled with worry and anxiety and stress, and, and we begin physically and emotionally and spiritually to break down because we haven't turned our lives and our life and all that our life touches over to the Lord. We're not really resting and relying on him. So what ends up happening? We end up, in a sense, destroying our own lives. We cut our lives short. Our blood pressure goes up. Our, our heart goes out of whack. You know, we, we, we get all kinds of massive, you know, headaches and, and migraines and, and all these different physical ailments from, from the stress and the anxiety and the worry and all this rather than trusting in the Lord. So no wonder, he says, how blessed are those who trust in the Lord. Amen. Because we can live with a joy and peace and confidence and, and nothing really bothers us because we know God's got us and God's got this world and this universe and he's got everything and, and we can trust him. Amen. So why don't we trust him and get rid of all the stuff that we carry around because we're not trusting in the Lord? And if we truly trusted in the Lord, then we would believe what the psalmist write in verse 11, that the Lord bestows favor and honor. That's, isn't that what we look for in our life? God, I want, I want favor in my life. I want, I want honor in my life. Well, the psalmist says, you just trust in the Lord and he'll give it to you. And he will withhold no good thing 
from those who have integrity. Whoa. Think about that. You know, a lot of times as Christians, we're going after other things because we don't trust some... We're like Adam and Eve. God's holding out on me. So I got I to gotta grab something from the other tree, right? Because what God has said, really, he can't be trusted. So, so I got to go after life my way. And God's like, if you just trust me, I will never withhold anything good from you. I'm telling you, if we as Christians really believe that, then we would just rest and rely in the Lord. Because nothing that anybody else offered us or the world offer us or anything else would ever come out. It's like, no, no, you don't understand. My Bible tells me that God will never withhold anything good from me if I just trust in him. Amen. So I'm just trusting in him. Now let me say this as we wrap this up this morning. There's a word here that's very important that we need to talk about and define a little bit deeper, and that's that word integrity. He says, God will withhold no good thing from those who have integrity. He's not just talking to God followers. He's saying a particular type of God follower. What type of God follower is he talking about? Here's my definition of this word in the Hebrew. Those who are all in with God. That's really what it means. I mean, all in. Not, God, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I got this part committed to you, but this part over here, this is mine. No, no, no. It's those who have jumped all in with God. Totally committed, totally devoted, totally trusting, not half committed, not double-minded, as James talks about, because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You know, so many Christians, it's like, yeah, I believe God is my Savior, and I, I know my sins are forgiven, I'm on my, but, but my commitment, now, nah, I'm, I'm halfway committed to God, but not all in. See, God says, if you just get all in with me, I'll withhold no good thing from you. And I think to myself, if we as Christians truly believe that, we'd have more Christians who were all in with God. Amen. Who weren't a quarter in with God or half in with God or even 90% in with God. I mean, they just dive into the deep end of the pool. It's not just dipping my toe in and dipping my foot in and getting a little wet. It's like, God, I'm all in. I'm all in. Because that's what the word integrity means. To be all in with the Lord who rules over all. So what a psalm. Again, to, to shape our hearts for the worship of God. Because what's God looking for in his worshipers? He's looking for those of us who aren't going to miss the blessing of his house. He's looking for those of us who aren't going to miss the blessing of his strength. He's looking for those of us who aren't going to miss the blessing the blessing of trusting in him all that we would trust in our lord he only has good for us all the days of our life
Will you come and be a part of a group that is wanting to be all in with God today? Let's pray. God, I thank you that, Lord, the Korahites that wrote this psalm never got over the fact that they had the privilege and opportunity to be a part of your covenant people and to be a part of your house. They never took that for granted. They cherished that opportunity. They treasured that opportunity. They looked forward to it, God. They longed for it. They were the ones that said, one day in your courts, God, is better than a thousand anywhere else. Oh, God, would we now today, as your people, would we have that same heart attitude? Because, God, when we fail to trust you, when we fail to live with your strength, when we fail to value your house, we miss such blessings in our life. And God, you show us over and over again and you speak to us about you want to bless your people. You want to bless our socks off, God. You want to bless us more than we could ever imagine. But God, we've got to respond. And so God, I pray right now that in this time of worship, that we, your people, would positively respond to the moving of your spirit in this auditorium this morning. And that God, as we sing this song and as, as we meditate and as we pray and as we, as we talk to you, God, and we speak to you and we engage with you, God, would we be all in? Would we stop trying to be half committed? But would we, Lord, just be all in with you once and for all? These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.